HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Whole Foods Market brings you meals worth sharing this holiday season. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com slash shop for our online menu and ordering system. Local turkeys, inspired sides, and even a little something for your hosts, all available online or in-store at one of our six Manhattan locations. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com for more details. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. Happy Monday and happy Thanksgiving week to everybody from Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Anne Saxelby. My co-host and producer is Sophie Schlesinger. Hello. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> and today, I think, is our first show dedicated to a single cheese. Yeah. I don't think we've yep. ever done a show on just, just one states. cheese before. Yeah. I know. Never a single cheese. <laughs> well, we figured Thanksgiving was the best time to celebrate um, a really, really excellent American cheese called... Rush Creek Reserve, um, which is made at Uplands Cheese Company by Andy Hatch in uh, Dodgeville, Wisconsin. So in the first part of our show, we're going to be talking with Andy about uh, Rush Creek and uh, how the idea came about to make this cheese and what makes it so special. And then in the second segment of our show, we're going to be talking with um, Barry Lynn Kirch, who is the cheese impresario, um, about ways to pair Rush Creek with different exciting beverages and how to serve it um, to your guests for Thanksgiving. Yep. Um, so, Andy, are you with us on the line? I am. Hi, Ann. Hi. Hi, Sophie. Hello. <laughs> Thanks so much for being on yeah. the show. Oh, of course. Happy to. So um, maybe before we get into Rush Creek, and I know you've been on the show before, but maybe if you could just uh, give our listeners a little bit of your background about how you um, came to be a cheesemaker at Uplands in the first place, that would be a good place to start. Sure. Uh, well, Uplands Cheese is actually a dairy farm, and we're in the southwest part of Wisconsin, and uh, it's been a dairy farm for much longer than this, but uh, 10 years ago, 
they began making cheese here, Mike Gingrich and, and Dan Patnod and their families. And uh, when Mike retired from the VAT, as they say, in 2007, <laughs> he hired me to be the cheesemaker. I was just coming out of uh, the dairy school at University of Wisconsin and, and some apprenticeship work abroad. And since then, um, I've taken over um, more responsibility as, as Mike has stepped away and... Um, now I uh, uh, run the farm, and as of uh, last year, added the second cheese, Rush Creek Reserve. Now, so that must have been a really big decision for you guys, because yeah. I think that one of the things that makes um, your first cheese, Pleasant Ridge Reserve, so great is that you just really f- honed in on that and focused on that and nothing else. Um, can you talk a little bit about the decision uh, making that went into uh, choosing to make Rush Creek? Yeah, it, it came from a couple of directions. Um, first of all, there, uh, there was sort of a creative impulse to, to do something new. Um, like a lot of cheesemakers, probably I happen to be a guy that can spend a lot of time thinking about tiny details. So <laughs> it, 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 I enjoy working on Pleasant Ridge year after year and um, fine-tuning it. Uh, but the, there was kind of a pull to go back to the drawing board and... Um, learn something new. Uh, and at the same time, um, when I came in as a younger guy who wanted to expand things, uh, the first thing we looked at was, was milk that we otherwise sold. So when we don't make Pleasant Ridge Reserve, when the pasture is not growing or is not ideal in the summer, we sell the milk. So that happens every year from about mid-October when grass stops growing till about Christmas when we dry our cows up. So, the, you know, all the equipment is here, the ripening rooms are here, all the employees are here, and we just kind of wind down. So it was easy to to see that there was some really beautiful milk there that was being turned into uh, probably cheese curds most of the time at a little <laughs> cheese factory down the road. So Ain't nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But <laughs> No, we buy them, we eat them, we love them. Um, we just wanted to try to do something that reflected the flavors uh, of our farm during that part of the year. And uh, and what's different about the milk, um, you know, uh, that you can notice as a cheesemaker between the summertime when you make Pleasant Ridge and this period uh, during the fall when you make Rush Creek? It, it's completely different on our farm, and that's not the case with every farm. Uh, we're a seasonal dairy farm. All of our cows calve in the spring and are dried up uh, by about Christmas. So they're all on the same lactation cycle, as you'd say. And so naturally, cows, their milk will change through the lactation cycle. And that effect is buffered on most farms because they're milking year-round and they have, that means they're calving year-round. So they always have cows in different stages of lactation. So they kind of levels out any fluctuation. But in our case, all in the same lactation cycle, that swing in, in components, levels of fat and protein, is magnified. So there's that factor, and there's also the diet is changing. Uh, they stop eating pasture and start eating hay, and um, also the fact that they're going into winter. All three of those things contribute to the, the fact that the milk gets a lot richer, heavier in, in fat and protein, but especially in fat in our cows. And it makes um, beautiful milk for a soft cheese, but it, not ideal milk for a hard cheese that, that you'll want to age. So when that's why we've always sold the milk. And so when we were looking to 
turn it into a cheese, we, we began by thinking about the particular qualities of that autumn milk and how they would best be uh, expressed in a cheese. And so it's, uh, it's interesting because um, I, I feel like you guys have looked to, you, you've looked to the Alps for inspiration, um, sort of, you know, when forming your um, sort of philosophy of making cheese. And so can you talk a little bit about that, um, how uh, the Rush Creek sort of plays into, um, you know, the cheeses that are, and, and the Pleasant Ridge as well, um, how they're made in that uh, region during the different seasons? Yeah, it's uh, something we've, we've fallen into, not really uh, by our own design. Um, you know, as New World cheesemakers, we have the luxury of choosing which of the Old World traditions to embrace and which to disregard. And, um, you know, so many things that have happened in, in cheesemaking hundreds of years ago were the result of, of little practical solutions. Uh, you think about maybe why the, the sides of a Beaufort wheel are concave. Um, you know, probably so it was easier to strap to the back of a donkey or something coming back down the mountain. <laughs> uh, so I always think about I, that. I don't have a concave <laughs> you know, sides to my cheese. Well, a tradition like that, I'm, more, I, I'm pretty willing to ignore. Um, but uh, certain things over 800 years or whatever, they've, they have figured out, and, and one of those is how to um, change your cheesemaking schedule to stay, you know, in tune with with the changing milk. Um, and so, I think the the the, the best thing that, that happened on this farm was when they decided to make a cheese in the first place. Before I was here, is, is they they considered their milk source before they decided on, on the variety of the cheese. They said, "All right, you know, we're a seasonal dairy farm. We have grass-fed milk in the summer." what is this best suited for? And they looked around and found this cheesemaking tradition in the Alps, you know, where every summer the cows go up into the mountains and they began making dry, hard cheeses just so they were durable enough to make the trip back down to the valley. So there was a tradition of summertime grass-fed milk producing these hard cheeses. So that is why they decided to start making Pleasant Ridge here, because we already had that milk source. I think now you see a lot of new cheeses popping up on the market, which is is really exciting. But I think sometimes the thought process behind a new cheese is like, hmm, well, what, what would I want to eat? Or, you know, what does the market have Yeah, what's missing for? from the market. Yeah, exactly. Which, which is a logical way to think about it. But if you have a, you know, a, you have a particular type of milk, not all milks are equal. So I think the, the first thing you should you should think about is, uh, what kind of milk am I working with, and what's the best use for that milk? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, um, in in the Alps, in the in the fall, in the winter, um, with that fattier milk, you'll see a cheese often called Vacheron Montor, which um, bears a striking resemblance to Rush Creek Reserve, which is a soft, sort of uh, gooey, unctuous cheese that's bound in a spruce bark girdle to kind of keep it from running away. <laughs> And, um, Did you just call it a girdle? I called it a girdle. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I might use that. Is there That's more feminine? Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's feminine, but it's practical. You know, <laughs> sounds better than corset, anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, there's no room for any little sort of like ties or anything. It's pretty. It's pretty functional. <laughs> um, but so, can you tell us a little bit about? Um, 
how you um, learned to make Rush Creek. Um, I know you did a lot of traveling, and so it would be really interesting to hear about that. Yeah, the the um, the, the, you know, the experimental work started here at home, um, and I, I screwed up uh, experimental batches for almost a year. <laughs> uh, you know, when you learn to make cheese in Wisconsin, uh, as an apprentice, you learn on cheddar and Swiss, Jack's, Colby, you know, all hard cheeses. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd made some soft cheese as an apprentice abroad, but never enough to really get a hang for it. So it was a steep learning curve just working with that much um, moisture. And uh, after about a year, I, I kind of had my feet under me, and I was ready to actually start asking um, directed questions of, of other people. So I did. I went to um, eastern France to the Jura, is the region at, just on the Swiss border above Lake Geneva where Comté is made. Uh, well, year-round, actually, and then Vacheron is made um, fall, uh, winter, and, and early spring. And uh, I got connected to uh, a cheesemaker, Sanse Richard, um, who is right at the base of Montour, right near the Swiss border, in a village called Metabier, um, down the road from Fort Saint Antoine, where some of the Comte comes from in this country. Uh, and so I made cheese there for a little bit and uh, came back and, and, and really had to relearn everything I learned there because he's making cheese to be sold at 25, maybe 30 days. And um, mm. so you might say, well, all right, just try to stretch it out a little or just, you know, cool the cheese down while it's ripening and, you know, let it hang out a little more. But really to have a cheese hit its peak at 60, 75, 80 days, you have to go back and reconsider everything you do during the make because it, all, it has implications all the way through to that 80, 90-day mark. So I sort of got my feet under me um, in France, and when I came back and sort of got to the next degree of detail, I got uh, some good uh, advice from Matteo Keeler from Jasper Hill Farm, who uh, is a great soft cheese maker and helped me think more about... Um, trying to make uh, these soft raw milk cheeses that uh, can age longer because it's not what they were designed to do originally, cheeses like that. Mm. Like you said, Uh, they were kind of made to be ready to eat in 25, 30 days as opposed to 60, 70, 90 days. Right. Um, And so what did you have to do differently? Well... uh, Without (laughs) without giving away your secrets. How technical you want to get, but I mean... (laughs) A lot of it has to do with, with calcium in, in the curd and mm. um, managing that. So as to keep the curd um, uh, elastic and soft, so, you know, you don't want to take it the route of a camembert where it gets chalky, mm. right. and then you rely exclusively on the molds to break that down and turn it runny. That is, that's a very, to, diff, to manage that type of ripening over 60, 70 days is, is very difficult. So you... You don't want to decalcify the curd to that extent and make it chalky. So you you need to keep it rubbery but not make it gummy. You know, you see a fair amount of of soft cheeses that are gummy, mm-hmm. which can be really pleasant. But the real appeal of Montor and what I'm aiming at with Rush Creek is that silkiness. 
the uh, kind of spoon ability. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Something the, the, it should have a sheen on it, the, the curd, and it should be kind of custardy, not uh, springy. So, um, yeah, a lot of that comes back to, to, to managing the calcium in, in the curd, and that's done, you know, different techniques in the vat. But then, like I said, it has implications, you know, 80 days out. And you have to be managing all of it. Um, you have to be managing all of it. It's, and, and it ripens so fast with, with that much moisture. It's, very, it's, uh, it's a very difficult cheese, and it takes a lot of uh, attention. You know, it's kind of like having an infant or something, you know, <laughs> and they're looking at it like every couple hours I'm in the ripening room just looking at it to make sure. <laughs> Are you okay? Are you okay? Are, how about you know, now? Are you okay? <laughs> And, you, and now you have an reserve. You, you know, you set a hard cheese on its course, and uh, any problems that show up, usually, you know, you have telltale signs ahead of time. You can see something coming, but, right. you know, you think about anything that's wetter will rot faster. Yeah. And so a cheese with this much moisture, you, um, you come in the next morning and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. And so, well, I'm really interested to know, too, what were some of the most, like, um, sort of, like, eye-opening things that you saw um, Sansei Richard doing in the cheese room when you were learning in France? Were there any things that you observed that you were just like, oh, wow, that's totally different than what I thought? Hmm. Well, hmm. Pre-ripening milk. Okay. I don't have a lot of experience with. Um, that means they make, it dif- they make it difficult here, you know, with regulations to do that. For um, and that for the layperson, that means adding culture and letting the milk culture for a little bit before you start working with it, right? Right. Okay. Right. Um, I guess I was really impressed with um, it man- you know, handling the, the that fragile of a curd. None of the stirring, nothing is done mechanically, um, which I, I suppose happens in some cheeses here in the States. But typically, you know, we're used to a, a vat with a mechanical agitator that goes back and forth and stirs. And um, it, the cheese is this delicate, a curd this delicate can't handle that, um, which I was trying to do originally, you know, and so... It, when I went there and saw uh, just how careful they were with the curd, it was pretty eye-opening. And so, do you have to do a lot more work with your with your hands, with as opposed to um, you know, have you have you sort of done more, uh, yeah, done less with the automatic stir and, and yeah, much more, much more. Um, and in some ways, it's it's nicer, you know, uh, with a mechanical stir, you can walk away from the vat. For five minutes, you know, and sometimes, you know, that could cause you to make a mistake. With with this cheese, you're standing there the whole time with your hands in the vat, so you're much more closely connected to what's happening, and you can make decisions, you know, very quickly because you're you're tuned into it the whole time. Um, mm. And actually, you know, it's nice not to have the mechanical whir of the the stirring uh, the paddles. It's so quiet in the room. Just, uh, just more that, Creek. more that bathtub sound. Yeah, <laughs> push. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, really, it's really peaceful. Um, make. Wow. And so, 
this cheese, um, I'm curious about the bark as well, um, yeah, because too. this cheese is bound in bark, and that's not something that we are used to seeing on too many cheeses here in the States. Um, can you tell us a little bit about where you get the bark and how you um, go about applying it to the cheese and um, what kind of flavors it imparts? Yeah, so it, it's actually, it's, we all call it bark. We all do, but if, if, it'd be uh, an interesting fact for listeners to know. It's actually the cambium layer of the tree. So mm. if you can picture the, the cross-section of a, of a log, there's bark on the outside and then there's the hard heartwood in the middle. And if you scrape that bark away, you peel it away, there's a kind of filmy layer, like a veneer almost, wrapped around that heartwood. That's the cambium layer. Mm. So that's actually what what's going around the cheese. The bark is scraped away and then that cambium layer is, is scored with razor blades and then peeled off the log and then dried and um, shipped like a dry lasagna noodle or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and like a lasagna noodle, we boil it to soften huh. it and to sanitize it. Um, so most of our spruce is, is coming to us from France, from the Jura. Mm. Um, the real deal. We, yeah. we had a shipment go um, missing this year. Oh, no. And right in the middle, we were making all of our Christmas cheese and um, were without French spruce. And um, the guys at uh, Jasper Hill sent us some of their Vermont uh, pine, I believe it is. Mm. Uh, and so we used a f- uh, that on a few batches. It'll be really interesting to see what uh, difference that makes. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. definitely. But, it's, yeah, essentially, like you said, it's there for, for shape support. So, <laughs> like a it's like spanks, <laughs> like what? Like spanks. They're, they're maybe you're not familiar yeah. with those, but you know many women rely on a product called spanks, which is oh, basically no, no. very tight tights. No, 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 no. I'm sorry, Andy. I'm sorry we had to go there. Maybe can we call it? We could call it a cummerbund. Yeah, yeah a cambium bund. Yeah, a cambium bund. <laughs> uh, the, the French call it a, I'm probably, a, a sangle. You speak a little French, and S-A-N-G-L-E is belt. Oh, I yeah. Think. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. So that's what they would call it. Um, the French have a nice way of saying everything. <laughs> yeah. Sure, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, man. So well, it goes, on, it goes on the cheese the day after it's made. It, it, it drains overnight. It's brined. Um, early the next day, and then um, these bands have been boiled for a long time, almost an hour. And then we soak them in sort of a potion of yeasts and molds. We, we sort of inoculate them with things that we want to uh, grow on the cheese. And uh, then they come out of the, you know, the bath like a, like a cooked noodle, and they're wrapped around the outside of the cheese and secured with a, a rubber band, and then into the ripening rooms they go. Um, and if you taste the cheese when it's very young, a week or two old, it's kind of, it's the consistency almost of a kitchen sponge. And it's, it's sweet and salty, kind of like a cheese curd, but it's not, uh, until after a month, five, six weeks that, um, you can start to notice some flavor from the spruce. Hmm. And, um, there's a, a sweetness if you kind of think of, um, you know, pine sap. Mm. That kind of sweetness, but there's also um, a, a little bit of a smoky quality to it that I think comes from uh, that same resin. Yeah. Um, 
And so the combination of those with, you know, the, the flavor of our milk, I, I find a lot of, like, brothy-type flavors in, in our cheeses in the Pleasant Ridge. And, you know, we ripen the Rush Creek right next to the, the Pleasant Ridge in the same room, and we wash the Pleasant Ridge with a brine and then early in the day, in the morning, and then use that same brine and, and wash the Rush Creek. So they're very much sort of kissing cousins. And uh, the flavors that, that come from that wash and, and those microflora on the rind, I think, give kind of that beefy, brothy flavor. So the combination of that with the, the sweet smokiness of the wood um, gives what, you know, I, a lot of times tastes to, to people like uh, cured ham or bacon. Mm. <laughs> Making me hungry. <laughs> well, I could just wrap the cheese in bacon instead of... Bruce. A new yeah. trend. I'm sure yeah. I'm sure you'd yeah. have plenty of people lining up. <laughs> but I like the traditional way. Yeah. Um, well, unfortunately, we are out of time. We have to now that we've talked so much about this cheese and that, you know, our mouths are watering. Um, yeah. uh, our next guest has promised to um, give us some pointers about how she likes to serve Rush Creek and um, different beverages that she likes to pair with Rush Creek. So um, Thank you so much, Andy, for being on the show. And we'll be back in a moment with Barry Lynn, the Cheese Empresario. I'm on it. So we are back on Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. Um, I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. My co-host and producer is Sophie Schlesinger. And uh, today we are talking about uh, Rush Creek Reserve, which is a beautiful seasonal cheese from Uplands Cheese Company in Wisconsin. And uh, our second guest is Barry Lynn Kirch, uh, the cheese impresario, who's here to tell us a little bit about um, some really interesting, wonderful pairings uh, with Rush Creek and also how to serve it at Thanksgiving. Um, thank you so much for being with us, Barry Lynn. Oh, thank you, Anne. It's a pleasure to be on. And hi, Sophie. Hi, how are you? Great. <laughs> so, well, first of all, we have to thank you for these, like, you know, beautiful gifts that you've yeah. been sending us. We have three <laughs> beautiful bottles of wine, beer, and champagne that you've specially picked <laughs> out for uh, for us to try with the Rush Creek Reserve. Um, are you? Do you also have a wheel of Rush Creek Reserve in front of you? I absolutely do. <laughs> and I've got the. I like it. You know, you cut the the top off 
Um, you cut the top rind off. Oh yeah, and let's it's sitting let's, there. Let's get into that because Andy was really concerned. He was like, I, "I really want to make sure people know how to eat the cheese." So when you say this cut the good. rind off, yeah, what what so do you cut the you know the the rind the the wheel is sitting in front of you, and I cut the very top off. Okay. And um, so I remove that, and then I, and when I'm serving it with guests. I give each guest a different spoon because I like to eat this cheese with a spoon. I think I that's a great idea. I was just actually with Andy in Wisconsin. I was teaching a class at the Jeannie Carpenters, who I know she's been on with you, um, with her Wisconsin Cheese Originals Original Cheese Festival. And I went out to see Andy to check out what was going on, and I got to uh, taste uh, the new um, uh, season of Rush Creek Reserve twice, actually. So, um, um, lucky you. <laughs> and this is to me with a spoon. Yeah, it is. Well, that's what Andy was talking about. He wants to go for that sort of a uh, gooey. Yeah, eat it with a spoon texture. Custard, yeah. Yeah, and I like it just on its own. You know, neat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So doesn't need doesn't need any bread. Doesn't need any accoutrements. Uh, nothing. Nothing. I mean, really, the richness of this cow's milk and the earthy, really beefiness of it, and you know, lusciousness of it is just. It, it, it's really thrilling for friends and family to share. People really get turned on by it. <laughs> well, so now let me before we dig in. Literally, um, can you tell our listeners uh, just quickly about uh, what you do in your work? and cheese? Yes. Well, I am a cheese um, educator, really um, focusing on, you know, bringing cheeses and cheese knowledge to people so they can really just rock out and have more fun with their friends and family. And my goal is to cure that terrible disease, which I'm sure you see see at your store when you're watching your customers cheese paralysis when they're kind of shaking and they don't know what to do. (laughs) And just help it be more fun for people because it's a blast to share cheese. And um, so that's really my mission is education and having a, having a great time. And then also learning how to pair beverages with these great cheeses for even more fun. Well, so I think that, you know, I was looking on your website and I saw you do um, cheese with cachaca, cheese with mezcal, oh, yeah. all <laughs> kinds of really wild, interesting stuff. Totally. So that's very cool. The homework will kill you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so let's talk about the homework you've given us today. How did you go about choosing these three beverages? Can you tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, well, I really had a concept in this because um, uh, Rush Creek Reserve is, um, you know, was inspired by um, a French cheese. I thought it would be interesting to pair it with a French champagne. And I chose Champagne Henriot because it's, a, you know, one of the last remaining family-owned um, houses in the Champagne region really since 1808. So I, and I um, enjoy their champagne. And I wanted to do something um, a little bit more Pinot Noir y. Um, and so this, this champagne is the Rose Brut, and it's got both Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, but it's a little bit more Pinot Noir heavy. It's, um, you know, it's really very fruity. It's, you know, red fruit notes, all of that stuff. is, And a little bit of, oh, I would say on the nose, a little bit of citrusy. So did, did you open your bottle yet? We did. I opened okay, it during well, the break. <laughs> I, I didn't. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I didn't trust myself to, you know, do it on the air and not get really wet. <laughs> pretty good. Yeah. Um, and. And so what I want to teach you is the methodology that I've really developed to teach people and to, you know, put a little smile on their face called the Cheese Highway. 
And so what you would do is you take a spoon of the Rush Creek Reserve. Okay. You pour the, right. the champagne, the champagne Henriot in your glass, and you'd smell it, you know, because 80% of taste is smell. Mm-hmm. Smell your beautiful bubbly. And then take a nice um, bite of the Rush Creek Reserve and make a cheese highway on your tongue. Kind of chew it up. And then as it's going, you take a little sip of your mm-hmm. champagne <laughs> down the cheese highway. And, you know, they really complement each other. Uh, the, um, the, the acidity in the wine and the champagne really cuts through the fat in the cheese because this is a high-fat cheese compared to the protein in it. So it's more, you know, fatty. It's richer. And, you know, the, with all that d- delicious cow's milk. And um, I don't know what you're getting, but I, you know, sort of like go back and forth. And I think that, that when I'm doing Rush Creek, because it's so rich, I always take two sips of whatever beverage. I call it a two-sipper. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the champagne is really delicious, so it's yeah. easy to have two sips. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it, it's really nice. I feel like the champagne isn't too dry, so you still get some of the fruity and floral notes in the champagne. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is really nice and, and actually, yeah, impressive because like you said, the Rush Creek is such a big sort of fatty, um, you know, unctuous, flavorful yeah. cheese. So they don't, you know, the cheese does not overpower the champagne in any way. Yeah, and the smokiness also comes through and works with, with the fruitiness of the champagne too. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like this would be kind of a fun thing to do at Thanksgiving too. With your family. Oh, yeah. Like post, post-dinner. Or yeah. pre-dinner. Or, yeah, pre-dinner. If it's Just like that off. two, three o'clock hour when yeah. everyone's starting to get hungry, but dinner's <laughs> not going to be ready for a while. Yeah. Right. Pop a bottle of champagne and open up a wheel of Rush Creek. That yeah. sounds like a great plan. <laughs> and then I leave this cheese out for quite some time. Oh, yeah. You know, out of the fridge. You know, you don't want to just take it right out of the fridge and put it on the table. Yeah, that's true. You know? The gooier, the better. Yeah. I mean, I wish my kitchen counters were built on a slant so when it's dripping on the floor, I know it's ready. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right. Well, so let's, uh, so what's next? We have, uh, it looks okay. like we have a beer and a wine left in yeah, front let's of us. Go, let's go to the Liquid Farm Chardonnay. This is um, a friend of mine. Uh, this is a very, very, very small 370 cases project by Nikki Nelson and um, winemaker Brandon Sparks-Gillis, um, both are, I've known for some time. And um, their concept is they love drinking French wines. So this is, again, you know, sort of playing off the French inspiration that Andy took off from to develop Rush Creek Reserve and the beautiful, you know, rolling hills of Wisconsin and that terroir. Um, but to sort of take a California terroir and really look at its sense of place and what's going on and make a wine uh, from Santa Rita Hills, which is a great um, AVA and mostly known for Pinot Noir. This is their White Hill Chardonnay, the 2010. And, um, you know, you can go ahead and, you know, pour it in your glass and do the same kind of thing, you know, take, uh, you know, smell both with your nose, the cheese and the, and the wine, and and um, and then... You know, throw it down the cheese highway and see what happens. Um, I love this wine. I tasted it when they first released it last year, their first vintage, and it's just um, been growing on me. It's it's a little bit hard to get, but I, it's very, very much old world style. 
Um, but bringing in, just like Andy is with the cheese, that's why I chose it, um, bringing in, you know, his own methodology that, um, that works with the technology of today, but with really keeping it natural and very much with that sense of place, just like he is with his milk. Yeah, I really like this pairing. I think, yeah. um, like you said, the Chardonnay, it is very old world. I feel like mm-hmm. there's some deep kind of honeyed and slightly spicy flavors. Yes, exactly. Under all that good buttery Chardonnay flavor. Exactly. And they and they do it in, in neutral oak barrels, like really neutral. So you're not getting a ton of oak on this at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you, but it allows the Chardonnay, which is a little bit, you know, fragile, to breathe. They're really not into the stainless steel um, thing. You know, they feel it's sort of like Juilliard, a student playing jazz to Miles Davis. You know? <laughs> so they're more in the Miles Davis arena. And I, th- and I think the high acidity of this makes it an amazing cheese-friendly wine. I that, mean, and a just, touch yeah. of sweetness, too, there. Mm-hmm. I feel like when you have the two of them together, that like this, if, if the other one was like, ooh, this is a fun, you know, pre-dinner thing, this to me would be more like dessert. Yeah. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, well, you could take this wine all the way through the dinner and just keep it going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that sounds definitely. good, too. <laughs> um, and then what do you think? So the last one we have is a beer. Yes. And I it's chose a wild-looking beer. It's really, it's really cool. Um, uh, it's from, you know, they call it the, from the Humboldt Nation <laughs> in Eureka, California. It's Lost Coast Brewery um, with a uh, female brewer who's just amazing, Barbara Groom. She just rocks it. <laughs> and this is their tangerine wheat beer. And I tried a bunch of beer with, with, with the Rush Creek, and this one was just so unusual because that citrusy thing and the wheat beer just kind of cut through the fat of the, of the cheese and brought me into almost the smoke and the richness of the cow's milk. So this is their um, very, very, um, you know, wheat beer, but they put an essence of tangerine in. So they wow. add it after it's brewed. Wow. That is, that's really unusual. And it's very refreshing, so it's a good balance between, you know, again, the um, elegance and the, the high fat and the, you know, bigness of the cheese and um, into this, you know, clean, refreshing, citrusy, you know, tangerine ale that, you know, it does have, I mean, you can really get the tangerine out of that, too. Yeah. And it changes so much, like if you have the beer before the cheese, and then you have the cheese, and then, you know, you have the beer again after. It's, um, yeah, it's a really interesting and unusual and cool flavor combination. Yeah, and each sip, as you, you know, you you can make your cheese highway, because this cheese will, you know, has a finish for days. Um, Each sip even changes as you sip your beverage. You know, the first sip will give you something different, and it's really fun to talk about when you're hanging out, particularly over the holidays, when, you know, people might be maybe, you know, having a little political argument or something. You can go, hey, let's do the cheese highway. And then you just start talking about the flavors, and everybody starts having fun and really um, getting back to the conviviality of what, you know, these holidays are all about, about really being with your friends and family and, you know, having really happy times together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you so much. This has been really, really fun. I have to say yeah. pairings um, are, you know, they always um, interest me and surprise me because um, 
you know, there are just so many different uh, flavors out there. And you would think it's kind of easy to just say, oh, you know, pair a great cheese with a great wine and it's going to work. But that's not always the case. So um, these have been really, really beautiful and fun oh, to try. Thank you. Well, I always try to deliver those kind of knock-your-head-back kind of things, you know? <laughs> well, I hope next time you're in New York, we have to, you know, take you out for cheese and wine and, yeah. and, and uh, repay your kindness because uh, this is really, really fun. Fantastic. Um, well, thank you for having me on. I hope everybody um, out in your audience eats tons of cheese over the holidays and maybe <laughs> try some of these pairings. Absolutely. And we're going to make sure they all get tagged on our website. So if anyone is curious about the particular beer, wine, or champagnes that we tried today, you'll be able to access them via HeritageRadioNetwork.com. So thank you, Barry Lynn. Have a happy Thanksgiving. and uh, well. We'll see you guys next Monday. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye, Anne. Bye, Sophie. Bye. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Anne Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network.